Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. I'm your host, Greg, and we are here for a special Election Week edition of Wheeler Dealer Radio. I don't know what is different about the Election Week edition of Wheeler Dealer Radio, other than Brian is too tired to make the podcast because we've all been staying up late watching excruciatingly slow election returns all week. But you still got me and you still got Ben Daniels. Ben, are you are you anxiously looking at the needle? Oh man, I have fully plunged that needle into my forearm and I'm just just mainlining those results from Georgia as as my home state is the savior of American democracy. Not so not really how I saw this election going, I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. No, not at all. Especially talking to my dad and like hearing him tell me about all of his like fucking shitty friends who are like, well, you know, the economy's pretty good, so I'm I'm gonna keep riding with the with with old Donald, yeah, the the, the fascist in the White House, yeah. Uh, as of right now, just to put a little bit of context on this, as we do when we're talking about games and transfer news, right now it looks like Biden's gonna win, but they haven't called Pennsylvania and they haven't called. Uh, I don't know, Georgia yet, uh, Arizona. They haven't called Arizona, all the final Nevada. states. Yeah, but it looks like he's going to win. So we're kind of prohibitively feeling good about things. So, uh, But we have some soccer to talk about. We have uh, two victories by Tottenham Hotspur and a piece of juicy transfer news. So let's get the party started. We'll lead off with our 2-1 victory against Brighton Hove and Albion. Uh, it was... It was a weird game. It, it, I think it sort of showed the best and worst of Spurs. It's maybe not the worst because it wasn't the Everton game, but I think it sort of showed off Spurs' strengths and weaknesses in equal measure. Uh, this was, I don't know, it, it, our two of our most important players scored goals, and, you know, as bad as we played, I think it's worth pointing out, it was as bad as we played at times in this game, I should say, it's worth pointing out that uh, Brighton's only real, only goal, and I think by a long shot their most dangerous chance, Came off a completely ridiculous play that should have been called back for a foul. So I think in general you could feel good about this performance. Uh, certainly I did, but Ben, I know you like to rain on all of our parades. So why don't you tell us what you thought about this game? Uh, first of all, is Bale one of our most important performers? Historically, historically. <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. Um, in my yeah, heart. In my heart. That goal. That goal was very important in my heart. It was a bad game. I mean, I, I don't was, entirely agree with that. It was it was bad to watch. It was not a kind of swashbuckling attacking performance. It was well, it was game until game. Kane scored the goal, and then it wasn't. But I mean, we had nine shots all game. Uh, like it's not like we were like hammering them, and then we got pegged back and had to figure out what to do. Like we gamed a penalty, we sat back on a lead and tried to protect it. We mostly did a good job of doing that, um, and had it not been for the first time all season, a referee went to the screen for a VAR call and said, oh, you know what, I'm not going to overturn it based on this blatant penalty, or blatant foul in front of me. Um, you know, I think we would have coasted to a, a 1-0 win, maybe would have stolen another goal set at some point. Um, and then we ended up winning based on Gareth Bale finding himself unmarked in the box and putting away a header from that Real Madrid connection. Worth, worth pointing out, yeah, the, the, the Zidane hating connection, but that was a, I think that was an impressive header. As much as he was unmarked, that, that he turned that into the net was not nothing, I would say. I mean, yeah, I think, you know, Bale is not going to be fortunate enough to find himself drifting unmarked into the box like that all the time, but... <laughs> You know, the threat of Harry Kane and Hungman's son is such that it's not not going to happen. You know, like, there's we're, we're too dangerous right now, um, and there's too many guys to pay attention to. That, yeah, we'll, we'll get away with stuff like that. I mean, I think, you know, it's hard to construct a narrative around this game. For me, I would say 
we approach this game to take a lead and then defend it and see it out. And but for a terrible VAR decision, I think we would have done that according to plan. It would have been very tedious to watch. We would have sat on that penalty for 90 minutes and walked away with a boring victory, um, which is fine. Like, I, I, I mean, again, we we did a good job of, of sitting back and defending a one goal lead. I just don't want to see us playing that way. Like, well, so we're I better talk about that a little bit. There's a few things I want to unpack about this game, but I, the, the big thing, if there is a narrative to this game, I think that it's, you know, we came out, we had some progressive attacking play early on. We looked decent, if not good. We scored our goal, you know, through some gamesmanship. We'll come back to that later, but we scored a goal. And then we just did this sort of sit on a lead thing, which is, the kind of thing that I think we would both agree is much less objectionable if you're doing it starting in, say, the 70th minute than in the 10th or whatever it was in this game. So the thing I want to talk to you about historically, because we've, we've had some conversations in the writer's room about this, but I don't know if we've ever done it this explicitly. Like, you know, Mourinho is a manager who, unlike, say, a Pep Guardiola or even a Pochettino, does, doesn't really... He very much favors, like, he doesn't want possession. He wants your team counterattacking. He wants your team transitioning the ball, but he doesn't. He's not the kind of guy who wants you passing triangles just to keep the ball in midfield. That's never been his style. What I want to talk to you about, because you have watched more of this than I have over the years, is but if you go back to those sort of very effective Mourinho teams, you know, the sort of his first stint at Chelsea, you know, his inter, his beginnings of his time at Real Madrid, what was that Mourinho strategy? I mean, obviously it. Real Madrid, he's sort of beating up on sort of the dregs of the Spanish leagues a lot of the time, and I'm guessing that's not quite as applicable here. But, you know, when he's got that sort of early goal, like, if, if you're not going to sort of take the ball and keep it, and obviously there are games, you look at the United game earlier this year, we just kept on attacking, we didn't really let up. But if you're not going to just, like, try to keep up that frantic pace for however long we did against United, traditionally, what is... what is Because we, we've seen with Mourinho at Spurs that... We're not quite as effective at squashing teams out of the game as he used to be. And that might be down to players, that might be down to style. But I'm curious, like, what traditionally is Mourinho, when he's sitting on a lead, what's that look like? What is he trying to accomplish? Because he used to do it very well. You know, it's funny because I think there's very much a narrative of, especially Chelsea Jose, as this team that plays for, like, the 1 0 victory. And. The reality of that team is is very much not that. Like in a big game in a cup match, you know, against Man United, like yes, the the game plan was get out there, take a lead, play this deep block defense and protect it. And you know, you could do that very effectively when you had peak John Terry and Ricardo Carvalho with Macaulay in front of them. Like that's a that's a team built to keep shots from happening and make sure the shots that do happen are bad shots um, and or shots you're going to get in front of. You know, they also have, like, peak Peter Cech, who was one of the best goalkeepers in the world at the time, you know. But the normal Jose Mourinho side, who was playing every week against the dregs of the Premier League, was not this tedious, boring side. Like, it was a little boring, but it wasn't like we quit attacking once we take a lead and we just shut up shop and hope for the best. Like they would regularly put teams to the sword. Um, well, the thing I remember, thing. the thing I remember from what I do know about that is, you know, Drogba just putting a hammer lock on the other team and like terrorizing, even if he didn't score a bunch of goals, just terrorizing them for long stretches of time because he was such a physical player. And that, that's sort of what I remember about those teams. Yeah. I mean, like, again, they were a team that, you know, had, very exciting fullbacks. They had very exciting attackers and wide players, and you know Arjen Robin and Joel Cole. Um, you know Drogbo obviously was you know a, a force, um, but like Ashley Cole flying down the left, like you know they were. It was not Ben Davis, you know, sitting back and like helping play defense. Um, you know Frank Lampard was crashing the box. Like this is not. It was not a team built to do nothing. Um, you know, they would beat you and then make you have to play with them and then they just keep pounding away at you. And that's the thing that, like, we haven't really made a part of our game. You know, we've seen it against Southampton. We saw it against Man United. seen it a couple times in the Europa League. But 
this game, Burnley, West Ham, you know, those are, they're all games that we've kind of stood off a little bit and played a little more conservatively than we should, than Jose has in the past, than we need to. Um, you know, I think if I'm looking at this this Brighton match, it's like Brighton's not a bad side. You know, I talked on the last podcast. They're a team that has put up good underlying numbers, that has played very well in games that they haven't gotten results from. Um, so, like, I think they're not, like, the kind of dross you'd expect to just, like, slap around. But at the same time, they're not a team that we needed to retreat into a shell again. Well, I would think that Brighton is kind of the perfect team for what, at least what we sort of Mourinho spurs at, at their best. Brighton's almost the perfect kind of team for us to play against because they're not great. They don't have, like, fantastic players that are going to absolutely punish you. I mean, they have some fun players, but they're not as, like, you know, you're not talking about United-level players, top-six-level players, but they're going to come at you a little bit. They're going to try and play against you, and... You know, when Mourinho Spurs are at his best, it's like, okay, come play against us and then run with our fullbacks and our really exciting front three, and we're going to hammer you at the other end of the field very quickly. You know, this exciting sort of counterattacking football. And you saw a little of it in this game, but not at the level that I think, you know, we I think we would have liked to have seen. Because, I mean, Brighton, especially with how unlucky they've been this year, I think they've been a good team, but they've been kind of unlucky. You know, I, in a lot of ways, it feels like they're there for the picking in terms of just we could have absolutely murdered them. Exactly. I mean, I totally agree. It was a total stylistic mismatch in that they're very much the perfect side for us to play against. And I think you're right that up until the goal, we were letting them play ball and we were crushing them when we had opportunities. Um, but I think like the most telling kind of aspect of this game is, is Sergio Regulon's play in the set in the first half after we scored the goal versus before we scored the goal. You know, before we he scored the goal. He was doing his typical marauding down the flank, you know, being dangerous, pinning Lamptey back, who is their their right wing back, Tariq Lamptey, is easily their most important player in terms of moving the ball downfield and then threatening once they get there. And he kept him very honest. He made it very hard for Brighton to come at us um, until they wanted to play with us but couldn't because their biggest threat on the pitch was not able to capitalize because Regulon was all over that. And then as soon as we took the lead, Regulon started sitting back and playing, trying to play defense. And, like, that's not his strength. He's not a defense-first fullback. Um, you know, he, he got on a yellow card fairly quickly. We saw him clean Lamptey out at one point, which was very satisfying, but, you know, not necessarily, like, great for our prospects. Um and, yeah, we just sort of surrendered the initiative. And all of the weapons we have for, for countering were kind of repurposed towards protecting a lead. And now, once the second half started, I thought we did a much better job of playing our game and not being reactive to what Brighton was doing. Um, and we looked a lot better. Um, and honestly, I think the Brighton goal, as, as bad as it was, was the punch in the mouth we needed. Like, it's not an accident that our winner came from Regulon finding himself very high up the pitch, putting it across for Gareth Bale. Um, what know, a cross, by those... the way. I mean, that was a, yeah, that was great, a beauty. Great ball. Right, but look, like, let these guys do the things that they're good at. Don't ask them to do the things that they're bad at. Looks like, and I think... I mean, you're going to play a counterattacking style. You're going to risk it sooner or later. You know, sooner or later, you're just going to give up a goal because you're asking the other team to come at you. And it's just, like, look, I, I actually do understand. You're playing a team like City. you got to lead. You're going to be a little more careful with how you, you know, go with that. But, like, it's fucking Brighton, guys. Like, And I know that Brighton's not, like, Fulham. Like, I understand that this is a team you don't want to take super lightly because they're good. They're, they're certainly capable of beating you. But, like, God, like, fucking invite them in. Like, <laughs> let's let's play our game. Right, especially because it was Brighton without Neil Mopai. Who, or Mopé, I don't know how you say it, he's French, who cares? <laughs> um, you know, their best striker, their only striker. Their only striker, the yes. You know, they were playing Leandro Chassard, who's a midfielder, up top. And, like, they were still effective and, like, dangerous, but, like, you have to wonder if they had played a real striker, that game might not have gone as well as it did. But, like, seeing what the lineup they put out, 
you would think like we would be a, a lot more assertive over the proceedings than we ended up being. Um, again, I'm happy with the three points. I was very, very concerned going into this game that, you know, Dr. Tottenham would be the team to show up <laughs> and like finally let Brighton get the win that they've frankly deserved in a lot of matches this season. Um, so I'm very happy that we were able to put that to bed um, and actually like battle back and like walk away with three points. But that yeah. game should not have been as comfortable as it was given the dynamics of what that game And not to drift too far into like, you know, your da talk or, you know, passion. Um, but I think it's worth pointing out that we had a big setback go against us that was pretty unjust and really frustrating. And I, we've certainly seen that spiral out of spiral out of control, both with Mourinho and before him. And that's been a real problem for us. And, you know, for whatever reason, it sort of stiffened our... I think you're right. We, we responded really well to getting punched in the mouth in this match. And I think that's a credit to this team one way or another. I don't want to get too lost in that sort of, you know, motivational talk. But I think it's worth pointing out. We've certainly seen us fall off of games like this before. And we didn't. And that's encouraging. Uh, I, I want to talk about... The goals. Let's talk about the simple one first, which is uh, the Gareth Bale's header. Which, first of all, how how great is it seeing Gareth Bale score for Tottenham again? He's back. Gareth Bale is back. Bale unequivocally. Is... Nothing is wrong with him. He's perfect. He's back. I think that's the only takeaway you can possibly come well, it's, with this. It's weird watching him because, on the one hand, I, I, I maintain that was a difficult header for him to put in, despite the fact that he was unmarked despite the fact that he was not getting ha- hassle of the box. Like, that's still, like, turning that header into the... You know, I think it was a bit of a trick, even as good a cross as that was. And I think that shows that Bale still has a lot of sort of technical skill. But frankly, looking at him in this game, in the Europa League games he's played in, he just looks... It doesn't. It's not even that he looks bad, it's just he just doesn't look football fit. And I think it's... You know, I think one of, one of our friends in the chat room said, you know, if he still sucks by Christmas, he'll be concerned. And I think that's about right, honestly. Um, you know, he just doesn't look up to it, right? Not, not, not up to it. He just doesn't look sharp right now. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the last few games we've seen of him, uh, Antwerp, he looked very bad. Brighton, he looked passable. Lugaretz, he looked respectable. Like, and, like, that's a, that's a progression that I'm comfortable with. You know, like, he's looked as good as, as Steven Bergvine or Eric Lamella. He's looked better than Bergvine. He hasn't been very good, you know, right. Right, right, right. Yeah, Bergvine has been really bad this season, which is a thing we could talk about. But, you know, it's, I think as unpolished and as not sharp as Bale has been so far, um, he doesn't not look like our best option for that third attacker, which is as much an indictment of everybody else as it is a praise of him. But it's like, you know, there's something to work with. Well, you made a good point. We were chatting a little bit before the podcast, and you were saying just by virtue of Son and Kane being on fire, you know, they're going to demand a lot of attention. And even if Bale is kind of not what he was, just by virtue of, well, they're going to have to spend all this attention on those guys. And if something falls to Bale, he's just got enough sort of innate talent that he's probably going to do more with it than Lucas Mora. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, Bale doesn't need to be going on, like, 30-yard runs, dribbling through defenses or, like, doing all the things that the Gareth Bale of seven years ago did that we all loved. If he's just like a viable extra body in and around the box, if a, if a ball comes to him, like, you know, he knows where the net is and like he can hit the ball. Like that hasn't gone away. We've had at least two moments so far where, you know, he gets the ball in a dangerous area and does something cool with it. I I mean, you know, and and if he's, if he's just not fit, if it just is going to take him some time to play his way into shape, you know, so be it. Like, you know, it's not ideal. Um, but, you know, it's, he's also not bankrupting us, so it is what it is. And we do have, between Eric Lamella or, God forbid, Lucas Moore or even Bergvine, we have other guys that can play there in a pinch if we need it. But, you know, Bale just needs to get sharp. And, you know, I, I wish he came in sharp, but it is what it is. And, you know, I, I don't know. It's still, this should not take away from the joy of it was really exciting to watch Gareth Bale score another goal for Tottenham Hotspur seven years later. Yeah, I think the other thing about Bale is for all his deficiencies, it's the kind of deficiency that just makes him not very effective. Not the kind of deficiency that makes him dribble down a blind alley and turn the ball over for no reason in a way that, like, Lucas and Lamella sometimes do. Like, he just doesn't really try to do a lot of the things that you want him to be trying to do. And so, 
you know, if the ball comes to him and it's not on or he doesn't feel like he can go on a run, he's still playing relatively smart and conservative with the ball and that he'll he'll look for the safe pass, which is is boring and maybe shitty and maybe kills our counterattack, but it's not, you know, a turnover in a in a dangerous area. It's yeah. not the, the complaining you know, we've had about Bale this year has kind of been like, where's Bale? Not like, oh my God, why'd you give the ball to him? Right. He's not actively fucking up. He's just not being good. I'm like, the line between those two, I, I think, are, is, is enough that I'm still hopeful <laughs> that we can get Bale to get to that next level. Um, you know, if not, then yeah, that's not a very useful player to have a guy who doesn't try anything or do anything. But... Again, he's not, I don't think he's actively harming us yet. And I, I really do think it's just sharpness, and I, I, I hope we'll get there. And it's, in a weird way, a real benefit of the Europa League group stages. If he just needs to minutes on the ground, like he's getting them. And in games that are relatively, you know, if he really does need that time, these, these are not the most urgent games in the world, so it's fine letting him play like 70 minutes. And more importantly, like we got to see Gareth Bale score a winner for Tottenham Hotspur late in the match that looked like it wasn't necessarily going our way. Well, our two and, exciting Real Madrid signings just combining, like Voltron, <laughs> to to put us ahead of Brighton. It was really, it was very cool to watch. Yeah, I mean, like you know, you just you have your memories of like that West Ham goal from Eons back and seeing Bale like kind of pull something out of his locker again to like get us over the line. Even if it wasn't, like, hugely impressive, it was still just, like, just hit all the boxes in my heart. Yeah, he, he was born to play for Spurs. So, uh, I, I want to talk about the first goal of the match, too. We're, I know we're doing, we're jumping around a lot, but there's been a lot of, uh, and it, this pops up from time to time, the Harry Kane Revenge Squad sort of poked their head up above the parapet um, after this game. Uh, you know, of course, obviously based in Liverpool, probably at uh, Salah's house, but... They were posting videos of, like, Kane just cheating, I think was the, the sort of term of him. Basically, like, sticking his ass into the player, marking him, especially on, air, on you know, balls in the air. And sort of, you know, a mix of in, inducing contact and creating a situation where it looks like he's been fouled. I was honestly, and I know I'm a Spurs fan and I love Harry Kane and I am inclined to think the world of Harry Kane, but... I mean, this just strikes me as garden variety gamesmanship. It, it, it is. This does not strike me as particularly dirty play. I, I, I don't know what you think. It's. I, I was not overly bothered by this, and I don't think Kane's doing anything particularly egregious by the standards of any striker. He certainly got like a move that he used to great effect against the guy against Brighton, but. I feel like you look at any goal scoring forward, and they're going to have some stuff like this in their locker. I mean, look, in terms of narrative, it's like, you know, Kane was a tap-in merchant and a penalty merchant until he was obviously good. And then, you know, it's like the narrative just keeps shifting because people aren't interested in giving Harry Kane credit. Um, and so now now we're going to call him a cheat because that's – everything else is kind of undeniable at this point. So, like, what else do you have left? I mean, even, analytics Twitter, even analytics Twitter can't debate it anymore. He's back, yeah, baby. They know he's back. Um in terms of like the actual penalty, I I think it was dubious. I think like I think all the talk of like oh he could have he's gonna break somebody's neck doing this is like come on. But <laughs> you know, I think anywhere else on the pitch, you know, you see a guy go up for a header and a guy back into the guy jumping, it it gets a foul on the guy who doesn't jump. Like that is a fairly routine foul call the other direction. Um I think the reason this was a penalty is because Adam Alana did not just like jump up for a header. He jumped forward in a very flailing, out of control manner at Kane, and Kane was like, "Yeah, I'm going to take the charge." Um, and I think it's it's a little cynical. It's a little like it was not. I, I don't think that Harry Kane got steamrolled by accident. Like he knew exactly where the line yeah. was and knew exactly. To be to take that foul, he took but, the foul. Like that happens all the time. The like maybe not in that fashion, but it's like, yeah, I'm going to take the hard foul because I know it's going to get called against him. Right. It wasn't like two guys jumping for a header and one guy undercuts it. It was one guy jumping for a header way out of his reach onto a guy who didn't need to jump to get the ball where he was standing. Um, and that that is like what skews it to me towards like it's a penalty, not a foul. But it's like. If it had been called a foul on Harry Kane for going under Lalana, 
I don't think anybody would have had too many objections um, to that call. But I don't think it's the kind of thing that like warrants an insane narrative of Harry Kane being a neck-breaking murderer, which is what we're getting, which is like, especially from fucking Liverpool fans, we're like, Mohamed Salah is like just the worst diver ever. And I don't mean like the most egregious, like he dives to win penalties, so much as like he is very bad at diving to win penalties. And it's it's embarrassing to see the way, you know, he goes down. Um, even when he gets fouled, it's like he goes down in such like comical theatrical fashion that it's like hard to take seriously. So to see these people being the ones like leading the crusade against Harry Kane. Well, they, they are the guardians of football's soul, aren't they? Right, right. They're the only ones like maintaining purity of the game. It's like, give me a fucking break. Uh, you know, yeah, you got to take so, so much of this is just, you know, they hate me because they're jealous. Whatever. <laughs> well, we haven't. I mean, we talked a little bit about the song last week, but like, I mean, Kane is back. It's 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 getting harder and harder to deny, and you know, I think it's it's sort of interesting. You talk about all the elements of his game, and like, oh, he's a tap in merchant. Oh, he's this. Oh, he's that. And you know, I think one of the things that, and it's because of how he looks and how he sounds. Um, you know, there's a lot. I think there's this sort of perception that Kane is, you know, like dumb as shit and is just happens to be good at this one thing, but. I think this sort of highlights the fact that's clearly not true. I think Kane is an incredibly intelligent footballer, and if you didn't know it by the way he positions himself and passes to his teammates and the way that he's become an assist leader this year, you'd know it because he's smart enough to bait all these morons into fouling him and giving him away penalties. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, there's just there's so much to Harry Kane's game that, you know, over the seasons have been unpacked moment by moment. And this season, we're finally seeing him. You know, we, we've always seen him play like creative balls and clever passes, and looked at the, like the assist charts and be like, "Wow, Harry Kane had two assists this season. That's weird." Um, you know, if you watch him, you know he has this in his locker. And seeing him this season, just dial that up to a level where, I mean, it's been it's been unbelievable. Like his vision on the ball is so clearly there. Whatever you say about his, like, technical ability, like, yeah, maybe he's not Pirlo dropping a a dime 40 yards onto someone's foot mid-stride, but, like, he knows where the run's happening, and he knows how to receive a ball and turn that ball into that counterattacking pass, you know, instinctively. Like, he has all of that in his game. Well, he's he's Uh, an incredibly complete striker. And I think one of the things that's so impressed me about this year is that we're, like you said, we're finding, like, he's adding to his game this year in, in terms of, like, the passing and assists. And that's not something that was necessarily not there at all before, but he, he's clearly developing it. And, you know, I, I just, I think he is a guy who, and I again, I think it's a lot of this is because of how he looks and how he sounds and the fact that he doesn't, we've talked about this on this podcast before, he's not is maybe, like, clearly physically impressive as, like, other strikers in terms of he's not, like, running down the field or hitting thunder bastards from, like, 40 yards out. I think it gets overlooked, you know, just how good he I know that's kind of insane to say, especially on a Spurs podcast, but I think it gets overlooked how good he is. Yeah, and, you know, he had, like, a couple of down years that has made it easy for, like, dipshits to retrench themselves into that narrative of, aha, Harry Kane was never good, which... You know, even if he had never come back this season the way that he did, that would still be nonsense. Like, he was obviously good and then got bad and then has gotten good again. I mean, he was um, probably, for two, or three, for two or three years there, he was probably, I think maybe not definitely, but you could make an argument, he was best striker in the world, non-Ronaldo or Messi division. And I mean, not even, even including Ronaldo. It was like him and Lewandowski, one yeah. and two. He was the other guy I was thinking of, yeah. For, for a couple of years there. And... You know, this season, and I think a lot of his, you know, assisting prowess is is tactical as much as it is a change in his actual things that he's doing. Mm -hmm. You know, under Pochettino, he would still make those same kind of balls, but it was not in a context where Sun was running one-on-one with the with a keeper once that ball is played it was like just moving the ball downfield and then yeah. the attack would catch up with it and so it's not going to be an assist it's just going to be the ball that creates the sustained pressure that then eventually leads to a goal you know like that those those skills have been there it's just now that you're seeing it show up in like the top line numbers of yeah. assists 
people are like, oh, Harry Kane is... But he's, he is finding new ways to apply but those skills. Yeah, he's finding new ways to apply those skills. He's, he's really good, and it's really fun to watch, because, I, I mean, we should be... We, we totally wrote him... I don't know, totally. We definitely were writing him off on this podcast for, like, a year. I mean, and I, I don't think that was an unwarranted opinion at the time, but it's been... It's been fucking fantastic to watch, and it's you know games like this. It's that that's what makes Kane such a good striker. He wasn't there all the time, but he's he's smart enough and he's savvy enough to sort of do what needs to be done. And he's also a great penalty taker, which is nice to have on your team. Yeah, no, I mean not just a great penalty taker, like an all-time great, fairly immaculate penalty taker. Like you never doubt that he's going to miss. He's missed a couple. I but saw him miss one live. It's automatic. It's I saw him miss one live, and then he scores the rebound. So it's like, right? And he's and he seems to have gotten better at it. You know, mm-hmm. it's like he's you know, when I talk about like the passing being a thing he's done before. It's not to take away from him adding this assist element to his game, which is is new and is good and is an improvement. But it's to say that like there were things in his game that have always been overlooked by people eager to find things to overlook about him. Um, and now that it's turning up as an assist on, like, the fucking charts, it's it, it's harder and harder to overlook. So you now find new things to trash him about. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I admit I was ready to sell Harry Kane this summer and say, you know what, we're never going to get as good a fee for him again. If these injury problems continue the way that they have been for the past couple of years... He's not going to get better. He's not going to get back to his best or something looking like his best. The money we'd get for the idea of Kane is more than, you know, we'd benefit from having Kane. And I was completely wrong because I'm not a doctor and I have no idea what it looks like to gradually recover from an injury over the course of several years. But it's undeniable that he is back and, and firing on a level that nobody in the Premier League is matching right now. I wonder if, and you know, a doctor could probably answer this, or at least Spurs doctor could probably answer this. Like, would Kane be here if COVID hadn't happened, taking him out for six months and giving him like six months to recover or whatever it was? It was a very long time. And taking the Euros away this summer. Like, I feel like he's really benefited from not putting as much pressure on his body as he might have if this was just, if, I mean, not that I'm saying, I, I, I wish we didn't have to deal with COVID, but, you know, he would have put a lot more wear and tear on his body, I think, if, if things were a little more normal this year. No, I'm also glad that millions of people have died so that Harry Kane could come back. Um, but, I mean, hey, you're right. He's like, one of our own. I mean. <laughs> everybody else is strangers to me. I don't care. Um, but, yeah. Sorry to anybody who's Yeah, yeah, that's before. not. Yeah. We, we, yes. I don't mean to be insensitive. We do not actually but, I mean, wish you're right, this. Right, like. <laughs> so much of what Harry Kane has dealt with with injury has been a refusal to not play soccer anytime he is remotely fit enough to fucking play. And having that forced layoff may have been the thing that like finally allowed him to properly heal and recover his fitness that he would not have gotten if he had been just constantly going nonstop in the way that he was inclined to do. And so... I gotta say, I, I think Mourinho probably deserves some credit for how Kane is playing right now. I, I don't know how much, but the thing I will say, the unquestioned best thing about Jose Mourinho as Tottenham's manager is we are putting extremely public pressure on Gareth Southgate to not fucking play Harry Kane all the goddamn time. And whatever else you think about Mourinho as our manager, that is a fucking huge-ass net positive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've talked about this before. You know, how, like, Alex Ferguson or even, like, Peak Wenger and, and Mourinho, Chelsea, like, you know, the best managers, the biggest clubs have always put pressure on national teams to not ruin their players on meaningless international games. And, you know, Mauricio Pochettino is always of the opinion that playing for your country is a, a huge honor and a, the greatest thing in a person's career, and he would never ask anyone to sacrifice that for anything. And it's like... No, international football sucks shit. Like, there's plenty of reasons to not participate in it. And if it's going to keep you healthy for the Spurs season, then that's way more important to me. So, moving on from Brighton, that wasn't the only game we played this week. We played against Ludogorets uh, from Bulgaria. Bulgaria? <laughs> um, in the Europa League. This was a... 
again, it, I don't even know how to evaluate, evaluate this game. It was a 3-1 three, three, win. I think even when Ludogratz made it a 2-1 game, it was never really in doubt. I think this is easily the most comfortable victory I've ever seen a Tottenham team have in terms of that team never got out of first gear. I mean, they were literally strolling around the pitch. They had plenty of shots. I mean, they never really looked like they had to try very hard to score. I, 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 uh, what's your take on this game, Ben? Because it wasn't an impressive win, but it was also an extremely comfortable win. <laughs> I mean, it looked like a friendly. It looked like a training exercise. You know, it was it was frustrating to see Harry Kane start the game because you know, like, you don't want to overclock his legs, like. We've just talked a lot about his injury history, like, and how important it is to rest him. Um, but it was nice that, like, once we put the game away, you know, Jose rested him. And, well, the half even it wasn't even like the 60th minute. Right. It was like okay, job done, and now we can rest. Um, you know, I, I think there's not a lot to take away uh, from from the game because the uh, opponent was so bad. I mean, they, they scored a goal, but they just did nothing. I mean, they put no pressure on us anywhere on the pitch. We kind of just strolled around doing whatever we wanted. Um, you know, Harry Winks was playing, like, incisive forward passes. Suzuka was hitting, like, Hollywood diagonals. It was like everyone was kind of just, like, fucking around out there. It was just one um, of those and-one videos where they're just, like, dribbling the ball <laughs> off the guy's head. like. <laughs> yeah. And, like, you know, the optimistic takeaway is like oh cool Jose Mourinho is getting through these guys like Winks and Sissoko and telling them if you're going to be part of this team like you can't just be like sterile possession in midfield you've got to push it you've got to try things and you know maybe this was an exercise in like getting them there um you know the pessimistic take is it was fucking ludicrous they suck shit Harry Winks is going to play exactly the same when a real team comes to town I don't know I mean Um, we, we had a lot of heartburn when we had those much tougher than when they should have been games to qualify for the Europa League. At a minimum, I'm just glad it was easy and no one got hurt. Yeah, exactly. Like it was it was a stroll in the park. Like I whatever. Thought. We scored some good goals, we did some good attacking play. A lot of people looked good. A lot of people didn't look great. You know, I mean I think weeks in the second half looked bad, but like whatever. I wish we hadn't had to bring on Hoybjerg. Um but, you know, everybody kind of did the thing. It was it was fine. So Mourinho's take post-game, he's had these sort of, like, we didn't play well, but we won, like, kind of like... I mean, he's clearly doing his best sort of Nick Saban, hard-ass college football coach, motivational shtick. I, I mean, I, I'm not in the clubhouse. I can't tell you if that's a good idea or a bad idea. I thought he was a little harsh on Lo Celso, if not maybe incorrect. Uh, you know, he said, like, Los Celso's got to get better off the ball was the way uh, it was a specific criticism. Um, but he also said that, you know, it was a good 70 minutes. It's, I mean, clearly fitness is an issue with Los Celso right now, which is something we knew. So that's probably the most important takeaway. What, what did you think? I mean, were you able to take any conclusions about Los Celso out of this game? Well, the first conclusion is that of the four people subbed off at halftime in the Antwerp game that Jose, you know, went maniacal over. Um, Los Celso started. He was the only one of those four guys who started. So it does suggest that was not, not a, excuse me, Los Celso being in the doghouse with everybody else, it was a fitness thing. Um, which we suspected, but like, again, when he comes off with three guys Jose is clearly mad at, you don't know. Yeah, I think we um, can surmise so at this point, just because I see a lot of Spurs fans talking about it. I think we can surmise at this point the reason that we haven't played in Domble and Los Celso together a lot is fitness as opposed to like, at least based on the available evidence, yeah, any sort of opposition to playing them at the same time. I think it's probably a fitness issue, but continue. Right. So so, so seeing Los Celso start was encouraging in that respect. That it's like, okay, he got subbed off because it was fitness, not because Jose was just as mad at him as he was at Delhi. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I thought Los Celso was very good. I don't, I don't really agree that he was like particularly poor off the ball. Like there was not a lot off the ball to do. I mean, I think the whole team was a little lackadaisical off the ball because it was so comfortable. Um, and we don't know what he was. I mean, maybe there were some instructions he wasn't living up to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who knows? But you know, on the ball, he was very good. And again, he played. You know, he came on for Ndombele against Brighton, and 
you know, again, put in a decent shift. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I am happy with Los Elzo's performances. I am hoping he is returning to 90 minutes fit. And I am tentatively optimistic that we will see the two of them together in midfield one day. Um, but who knows? Um, in terms of everybody else, like, again, Gareth Bale, we talked about, like, looked like he was returning to sharpness. Harry Kane was great. Um, and, you know, we brought on Sonny, which is another one that's like, why did we do this? But, you know, he made an immediate impact, which was nice. You know, people are just looking fairly sharp. Uh, even Lucas had a decent game. Still got beat by a defender strolling to the, strolling to the Harry Kane's final ball. Yeah. Again, could have been better. Um, I don't know. Like, yeah, you could walk around the pit. Like, Joe Hart got beat on a chance that he probably shouldn't have. Um, well, what else is new there? But um, I want to get back to Los Celso for a second. Before, not time to say. Before we move on, we got some other, we got some juicy transfer news to talk about. But before we get to that, I, I don't want to get off of Los Celso yet. Um, so there's been a lot of, I mean, if you reach back in time, it seems like sort of the choice Spurs had, or at least as it was, if you read between the lines, was we were either going to get Bruno Fernandez or we were going to get Giovanni Lo Celso. I certainly wanted Lo Celso more at the time. I thought that was much more the kind of player we needed as a sort of deeper midfield player, a certainly more versatile midfield player. Um, I think Bruno Fernandez has had a bit more um, of a high-profile tenure in the Premier League. Do you... Have any? I have my own thoughts on this, but I'll share after you talk. But do you have any regrets on this? Do you wish we gotten Fernandez instead of Lo Celso? You know, I think there was a moment I think in the spring last year that I I doubted. Um, you know, Bruno Bruno was so hot, and again, a lot of that was like scoring penalties, but like looked really good. And you know. I think there was definitely some some envious glances cast Manu's way, but Los Celso just does so much in so many different ways. And honestly, like I I expected having signed Hoybier, I would be even more skewing towards the boy. I wish we'd signed Bruno because we don't need like the kind of like midfield tidiness from Los Celso with a Hoybier behind him. Uh, we sure could use a guy who's like explosive in the final third the way that Bruno is. And yeah, I mean, the, the course of this season has not, has made me actually go back the other way, even not seeing Lo Celso uh, on the pitch very much. Um, as good as Hoybier has been at cleaning up in midfield, you can still see how that midfield three of him and Ndombele and Lo Celso all work together in a way that's very good. Um, you know, Bruno is a bit of a luxury player that I don't even know that we can afford, frankly, um, with the midfield we have. And he hasn't looked that great this season. He he has done a lot to make me not regret Bruno Fernandez. Every time I watch United this year, my my big takeaway is like, fuck that guy. Like, I get so angry watching it. I don't even know why, but... Like, I, I shouldn't, I, I know why, but I shouldn't get as angry because I don't really care. But he's just, he's constantly a passenger. He's not doing any defensive work. Like, I, I feel like it was the Brighton game that United, when United played Brighton, and he's just standing there watching Brighton equalize the game in like the 93rd minute, not doing anything in his own box that like even approach defending. And just, you know, like you said, he's a luxury player. He's so much, I feel like he's so much more limited. He's a little bitch. Yeah, he's a little bitch. He's he's such he's a little bitch. He does so much less, than, and I don't think we've seen the best of Celso at Spurs. I mean, certainly having seen a little bit of him at Betis, where I think he was much more sort of in your face and impressive. I don't think we've seen the best of Celso at Spurs, but he still does so much more on the pitch, whether at both ends, and he opens up so much of the play for the rest of his teammates. It's just you know, even though I don't feel like we've seen the best of him, you you can see what he can do and you can sort of imagine what he's capable of doing. And I think that's just so much more exciting than Bruno, who, again, I think a lot of his, you you, you mentioned this, I think a lot of Bruno's sort of rep in England comes from being a bit of a penalty merchant and people just seeing those numbers as opposed to, like, you know, actually seeing him do... I mean, it's not like Bruno's totally without value on the pitch, but I I just think he's so much more of a limited player than Lo Celso is. 
Yeah, I mean, Bruno's a guy, like, you get him the ball, he's going to do the exciting thing with it in the final third every time. Whether that's taking a stupid shot, whether that's making a crazy pass, like, he he pushes hard when he has the ball at his feet. And, like, that's really fun to watch and, you know, really valuable. And a team like Peak United carrying that with, like, the forwards they have, like, it makes sense, you know. But as much as Lo wasn't stealing the headlines and, you know, banging goals in every other week like you look back at like last spring and into the project restart like he was the guy that was keeping this team functional like he was yes. what was taking this team over and like we still need that and like and Don Blay has been that for us this season but again like the two of them together on the pitch I think they're just gonna fucking run teams over oh yeah um, and I especially mean... with Harry Kane and, and Hungman's son in the form that they're in like Boy, it's it's just exciting. I just think like I, I it's probably not fair, and I'm probably not entirely thinking in the right direction. But with Lacelso, it's just it made it. I know Christian Eriksen was a great passer under Pochettino. Delhi's had his moments, but like I just think of Luka Modric when I watch Lacelso in some ways, just because he's able to just move the ball around in midfield. And I, I know it's not one to one. That's a bit of a sloppy comparison. But I just don't. I feel like we haven't had a player like like him. We didn't. We didn't necessarily need a player like him because we had guys like Dembele and Erickson and what have you. But I, just having a guy who can pull strings like Lucelso can, I just feel like we haven't had that in such a long time. Yeah, and he like he's a very different midfielder to Ndombele in terms of like what they do. Mm-hmm. But even if Lucelso, like a guy who is nominally brought in, I think in a lot of people's minds as like an Erickson replacement. Yeah. Even if he, like, never gets a goal or assist all season, he's still bringing so much value to, like, how we move the ball around the pitch um, that, like, I would be perfectly fine with that being, like, the state of affairs. That, like, him and Ndombele are just the guys who, like, get it forward and then, like, never show up in the final third. But the reality is is both of those guys are going to do that also. And, you know, when we can finally get, get them both on the pitch... And again, even if we don't, even if we just have to rotate the two of them game by game or at the 60-minute mark, you know, it, it means we can keep a consistent presence on a pitch that is just incredible, moving the ball forward and, like, humming in midfield. Well, and what I like about them is, too, is we talked about Fernandez. We talked earlier about, like, you know, where to, before the podcast we were talking about where you play Delhi potentially or, and what do you sacrifice defensively. If you do certain things, like I don't think you sacrifice much defensively. If you, especially if you're playing them with Hoiberg, like if you've got Indombele and Lacelso on the pit, like I, honestly, I think putting aside what that allows us to do on from an attacking point of view, which is I think going to be fucking incredible. I think that just makes us so much, so much more of a solid team in terms of being able to hold the ball, being able to stop other teams from attacking. It, I, I, I don't think it's insane to think they're going to be ready to play by our the city game in however many weeks that's going to be. Um, but I fucking hope we get to see it because those are two sensational players when they're fit and ready to play. And I think we're getting to the point where we're going to start seeing them together and it's going to be real fucking exciting. Yeah, I think it's very easy to look at like functional players like Wings and Suzoko and assume that because they're not bringing you a ton offensively, they must be giving you a lot defensively when the reality is like that's not the case at all. Um, whereas flair players quote-unquote, like Los Celso or Modric or even Dembele, like, were so good and are so good both sides of the ball that, like, you don't have to sacrifice the attacking output to get a guy in the pitch who is going to do the hard work defensively and in transition. Um, and, like, you know, anything we can do to get Winston Suzuko off the fucking pitch is going to make this team better. You made a good it's going to make us better in both directions. You made a good point there, because I think one of the things I didn't expect about Lo Celso, he's got some of that Eric Lamella shithead in him, where he is willing to do dirty work in a way that I was not expecting to see. Like, he is willing to put in a shift, and he's willing to put in a cynical foul to, like, you know, sort of keep things ticking along in the way we need them to tick along. He's, I, I think Lo Celso is just going to be a hell of a player for this team for years to come. I'm, I'm so excited to see him get fully fit and get on the pitch with Ndombele. Yeah, I definitely think there's been a, a bit of a not backlash, but like a forgetfulness about how good he was last spring mm-hmm. because we haven't seen him in so long. 
but yeah, he, he you know, you're talking about Harry Kane being a complete striker. This guy is a complete midfielder. He's a guy who played as a defensive midfielder in Argentina a bit and at PSG and then became a number 10 at Betis and, you know, has been mostly an eight for us. But, like, again, he has the tools to play a six, an eight, a ten, whatever, and wherever he's playing. Well, you can see that's where, I mean, you can see that's why that's why Pochino wanted him so bad. Like, because Setien just, when he was in Seville, it was just, like, fucking, like, anywhere in the attacking area except for striker. It was like, go, I'm going to put you there and you're going to do some shit. And it was usually pretty exciting to watch. I mean, he really is a complete midfielder. It's so... God, I hope he comes back healthy soon. He's so much fun to watch. So... Yeah, it's great to see him get a goal today. Like, again, it's like... It's just... All aspects of his game are just very exciting. Yep, yep. It's, it's honestly... And honestly, there's something kind of cool about another Argentine, like, killing it at Spurs. Like, I think it's really cool that we keep getting these guys. Uh, it's a nice little part of our club's history. Um, speaking of exciting midfielders, but ones who aren't getting on the pitch for other reasons. There's been a rumor uh, centering around Deli Alley who couldn't get on the pitch again this week. I don't know really why Mourinho is picking a fight with him, even though, like, you know, I don't think he's as easy a tactical fit for this team as he might have been under previous teams, but that's he's still a talented player. I think you find a way to get a guy like him on the pitch. There was a rumor that came out of Italy uh, this week that... Apparently, we are discussing swapping Danny Rose and Delhi for Christian Eriksen, who would be coming back to Spurs, and uh, Skriniar, who we were linked to in the summer uh, before he got coronavirus. Uh, there's a lot to unpack here. Let's start with Delhi. Uh, I think we talked a little bit about this. Delhi, I don't think, has looked super great in his chances uh, to get on the pitch for Spurs, but they have been extremely sporadic. I don't think he has looked bad. Um, but, you know, we're talking about a guy who's not getting a lot of time to sort of work his way back into the team. I don't quite understand why he's been alienated to the extent that he has. I mean, maybe something's going on behind the scenes. Maybe this is just Mourinho being Mourinho. I feel like on the one hand it would be selling low on him, but on the other hand, I, I don't know. He hasn't been the player he was for a little bit now. I know you're a big Delhi fan, Ben. I mean, how do you feel about where he is right now? Because it certainly doesn't look like he's going to be getting regular minutes anytime soon. Yeah, it's frustrating. You know, again, of the four guys subbed at halftime last week, he's the only guy who didn't get on the pitch again this week. And I think the writing is on the wall that Jose is not happy with him. Um, whether it's for a good reason or a bad reason, who knows? Um, you know, again, I think if you looked at Ndombele this summer, I think we all believe his his sale was a foregone conclusion. And that didn't happen. And not only did it not happen, he's become a regular starter almost every game this season uh, in the Premier League. Like, he is key to this this Jose team. So, whatever's happening with Delhi, I think you can't assume it's irreversible and that Delhi can't come back. Um, but I do think there's a big question over what his best fit is in this side. Does he fit into Jose's plans? And if he is going to keep feuding with him and not like him, then what does that mean? So, you know, in the first place, I, I do think Delhi has a lot to offer in a lot of roles. I mean, I think, you know, having not played in Don Blanco Celso together with Hoybeard, like there's that third midfield spot that we've given to Suzuko and Winks a lot that I think Delhi could do a job there. There's also the third attacking role that we're kind of cycling between Lucas and Lamella and Bale and Bergvine and whoever that, again, I think Delhi could do a very good job and honestly, a really good job. And like the, the best version of Delhi at Spurs was a guy who nominally started on the left and, and came inside and made a lot of runs off the ball. Um, and in a counterattacking team, a guy who can make good runs off the ball and get shots and create in the final third is a very valuable guy. Like that's, that's what you want that third guy to be. Um, and we haven't tried him there. And I think that's, that's, that's where I think he should be playing. Um, but assuming Jose is not going to do that. And assuming Jose is feuding with him, the question then becomes, 
well, what is his value to us as a as an asset? Um, you know, if he stays with Spurs for the season and doesn't play all season, his value is not going to get any higher, certainly. Um, you know, we can maybe hang on to him to the point where Jose eventually burns all of his bridges and gets fired, and then we have Dally, and then we can bring him back into the fold. But, like, that's that's an unreasonable way to treat a player as a person and as a, again, a financial asset for the club. Um, so the question is, is this swap deal the best return we can get selling low on Delhi? Um, and I'm not convinced that it is, but I'm not convinced it's a terrible deal either. I think if you're talking about bringing back Christian Erickson, I have the exact same questions about Erickson as I do about Delhi. is where exactly does he play? Is he that, third midfielder playing with Hoybjergen and Dombele. Um, and again, especially if Los else is coming back to fitness, why why would we supplant either one of them with Christian Eriksen, who has not been very good in his time at Inter, honestly? Um, or are we going to play him in that third forward spot? Which again, it's like, why would we do that? I think, again, he'd be good there. Like the best version of Christian Eriksen is also certainly capable of, of starting from a wide area and playing in a, a wide pseudo forward role. But Jose hasn't really shown an inclination to play guys who aren't aren't real wide forwards in that position. Like Los Celso could play there. We haven't seen that. You know, he's only playing the guys like Bale and Lucas, etc. So I don't know what we do with Erickson if we bring him back. Well I think um, it's an interesting proposition because I think I, I would look at I think you're starting from the wrong perspective because we're bringing in Skriniar, and assuming that Corona hasn't fucked him up too bad, which I can't say I've watched enough Inter this year to be able to answer that, and it seems like we don't know some athletes. Well, even if he had, he's only played like a hundred some minutes. Like it's yeah. not like he is like a starter for Inter. So let's assume he's of the level of fitness last year. I mean, pretty good center back would feel a lot better about our back line if he was back there and fit. That's good. That's not the worst return in the world if you're just trying to get rid of a guy that we're not going to play. Two guys, honestly, in this case, that we're not going to play. Um, you know, I think that's one of the conversations we had about Ndombele over the summer. Obviously, he's a great talent, but if we're not going to use him, we might as well get something for him. And, I mean, I guess that's kind of where I am with Delhi. I'm skeptical enough. I mean, I, I, this, everyone who listens to this podcast is well aware of my tumultuous breakup with Christian Eriksen, but... You know, my sort of questions, the question I would have, and it's not all Erickson's fault, is he hasn't been good for more than a full calendar year now, certainly on the pitch. He had some moments at Inter when he first transferred, but he never really broke into that starting lineup. He certainly hasn't looked good this year. I mean, you know, maybe that's just down to the fact that he was unhappy at Spurs and then Inter's treating him like dog shit, and he's kind of like realized the grass isn't greener on the other side, and he'll come back to Tottenham and feel loved and welcomed and he'll get back to his best. But, you know, we're also talking about a manager like Mourinho, who's clearly a psychopath on some level. And, you know, if he saw Erickson wasn't giving his all for him when he was first here, which we know he talked about, I mean, not in a derisive way, but he talked about it in that documentary. You know, is he going to have some weird prejudice against Erickson? So he's not even going to give him a shot. And that's putting aside the fact of which something I was alluding to, which is like, is Erickson just shot? Which is not something I think we can just dismiss out of hand. Because it's been long enough where maybe there's a reason he's having these issues at these clubs that beyond the fact that he's unhappy or his manager doesn't like him, which, you know, I don't know, I'm not there, but I don't think Spurs, I think Spurs need to think about that. I don't know. I think Erickson seems to be a player whose skill set Mourinho would be more enthusiastic about using than Delhi's. I think it, it's a more natural fit, but like you said, there's there's midfielders ahead of him, there's, play, there's attacking players ahead of him, and... You know, does Erickson really want to come back here? Do we really want to spend money on Erickson to be a rotational option? I mean, I'd like to have him here as a rotational option, but is he going to be happy with that? I don't know. I mean, the version of this that works out where Erickson is good and comes back to Spurs and is a successful part of a midfield rotation, I'd be happy with. That would make me, like, I would feel good about that, how that situation ends, but I'm not sure it's going to go that way. I mean, I think, you know, the thing is, is, Skriniar, I'm not sure, is so good that it's, like, worth cashing our chips in on Delhi. He is the more... Just to get I mean, him. I think there is a level of you're going to get... You at least know what you're going to... You're getting what you pay for a certain level of it, assuming his health is uh, fit. 
Yeah, I mean... Compared to Erickson is what I mean by that. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like, that's the guy we're buying. And Erickson is, like, the the, the make-weight. The lottery. He's the lottery ticket we're we're, we're buying. Right. You know, like, if you're in a fantasy league and you've got Danny Rose and Deli Alley, you're trading for Skriniar and hoping Erickson can do something for you. But, like, I, I just... It's hard because it's like, you know, in my head, Deli is this guy who was going to be a, you know, Real Madrid caliber yes. transfer value. You know, that like one day he would just get so big for us that we'd have to sell him for 80 million pounds and, and be happy with that. And now it's like, well, we've sold Erickson for peanuts. And screening, I was like, yeah, like 40 million, I think was like the rumored number, 30, 40. Um, but like, as much as Delhi's value is dropping, so is his at, at Inter. Like, he's not playing. He's not a key part of that team. He's just an extra guy that they have. And so it's like if I'm cashing in a guy who's a potential 80 million player who, you know, admittedly hasn't lived up to that in a minute um, for a Inter Milan's backup center back, I'm just, I'm just not sure that's the best deal. You know, yeah. I feel, we, I feel like we have to cash in Delhi. That's a lot Somebody of bets. Somebody in the Premier League is like going to be willing to pay money for him that's, on off chance that he could be good again. If we got three of those guys, that's that's three dudes we're taking a bet on that the problem was their manager didn't like them on our roster in terms of Bale, Skriniar, and Erickson. And especially with Bale? a manager who has a history Bale? of not liking you guys. Mean, you mean Delhi? Well, no. If we, if we, if we get rid of Delhi, get those three guys. That's oh, three okay. guys we're taking a bet on. And we're betting that right. it's because they're. But it's also Delhi. We're also betting yes. the downside of Delhi because yes. of the manager. You know. So it's it's a very I don't know I don't like I don't, I would love for Christian Eriksen to come back to Spurs, find his form, and be a great player again. Like because I he was before he broke my heart. He was probably my favorite player on that Pochettino Spurs team. But I just uh, I don't know. Like I, I, Delhi Alley's a good player. Like fix it, find a way to make it work. That's that's my sort of where my. You know, unless he is doing something just awful on the training pitch and just being a real problem, which we don't, it doesn't, I, my guess is we would have heard something about that. Um, you know, I, I would like to just try to find a way to make that work because I think, like you said, Ben, there's, you know, with the way they're playing right now, that feels like a bit of a long shot. Yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to me for me. If, if we don't do anything with Delhi in, in the short term, this summer, Delhi is going to have some value to some mid-table Premier League club. Like his value Everton. is not going to like so much. And, yeah, yeah, exactly, Everton. Um, but somebody will pay good money for Delhi Alley on like what Mauricio he was and what he could be. Mauricio Pochettino will pay good money for him. Yeah, Mauricio Pochettino and Manchester United will pay good money for Delhi. Um, but by the same token, Skriniar's value is going to also drop over the course of the season, not playing for Inter. And I think there is a much smaller market for that guy than there is for Delhi within the Premier League. So, uh, again, if we have to, if we sell Delhi in the summer and buy Skriniar in the summer, I think we're going to come out way more ahead financially than whatever this swap deal we're, we're working out is going to look like. Um, even including Christian Eriksen. So, I don't know. I, yeah, I think it's bad. I mean, again, I think the right way to handle Delhi is to get him fucking into this team somehow and realizing that you have a fantastic talent who will make this this team better rather than whatever the fuck we're doing. Um, I think that's way more valuable than anything we can get for him in trade. I, I always the way I always try to look at transfers or at least evaluating players in general is how much convi- how much are you talking yourself into it? And there was definitely a little bit of that with Bale, but like the price was what it was and the nostalgia was what it was that you're kind of willing to overlook it and just deal with it and hope for the best. And I feel like this particular deal that we've heard about, there's a lot of talking yourself into it. You're, there's a lot of justifying like, okay, well, if this happens, then this will happen, and if this will happen, and so on and so forth. And I, I, I just, you know, all the risks of taking on Skriniar and Erickson feel bigger to me than the risk of trying to find a way to make it work with Delhi. I mean, knowing what we know, not having any inside knowledge, that would be where I land on this. Um, 
But, you know, it's not like it's... This is also isn't, like, a completely insane deal either, so... Yeah. Yeah. And again, I'm just not ready to quit on Delhi. Yeah, well, but to be As fair, you'll, never be, you'll never be ready to quit on Delhi, just to be fair, so... I mean, I, I'm not opposed to selling Delhi. I'm just... We have them for the fucking foreseeable future. Yes, it, we're not so we're not so good that it's not. It's like yeah, we don't need this guy. We're still Tottenham Hotspur. We're not. We're not Real Madrid who can afford to throw players away that just don't exactly fit our plans. We have a very talented player. We should be figuring out how to use him. So yeah. So what? We got a West Brom this weekend. Yeah. God, I don't know. I keep feeling like. I think that we're playing West Brom, and I think no, Greg, they're not in the Premier League anymore. <laughs> like you need to, you need, you have not refreshed yourself on the promoted teams yet. I'm like, oh no, there's West Brom. Yeah, they're back, and boy, they're not good. Um, they are. They just lost to Fulham this weekend, who I didn't think that was possible. Um, Fulham had not won all season, and yet they managed it against West Brom. So having having weathered the storm against Brighton, uh, losing to West Brom would be just perfectly fitting. But yeah, again it would be another it would be another it would be another sign that Mourinho is embracing Tottenham's traditions. <laughs> yeah. I mean again like again they have not won this season. They've scored six goals. They've shipped sixteen. They didn't look good against Fulham. It wasn't like, you know, Fulham stole a couple goals and got lucky. Like, you know, they, I mean, they have looked good. Like, they had, like, a 3-3 draw with Chelsea. Like, they're not so awful that you can say there's nothing there, but there's nothing. Yeah, we should like, be able to run them off the field, or at least we should find a way to win. <laughs> Let's maybe not run them off the field, but we should I find mean, a way to win. If we don't win, it's the kind of game that you're, I'm going to... The pendulum is going to swing back <laughs> very hard and very angrily. Like, you know, we're sitting in third right now. Liverpool, I think, play Man City this weekend. Like, Yeah, let's take advantage. Let's take advantage of our opponents for once. It's a good time to win a shitty game. Yeah, Liverpool play Man City. Uh, Leicester are ahead of us as well, and they play Wolves. So, like... The two teams in front of us have, like, reasonably tough games, and we have one of the worst teams in the league. Well, we haven't looked. Spurs remain looking pretty good most weeks, yeah. so let's hope we keep it up. Yeah. I mean, should be a win, should be a slam dunk, but the thing about slam dunks is not many people can actually dunk. So, good <laughs> so point. who knows? That's a good point. <laughs> So I think we'll wrap it up there. You can follow our podcast on, on Twitter at our new podcast account. That's WDR Podcast. That's we as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. Don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. It'll make us, uh, you know, it'll validate all of our feelings that we don't get from our personal or political lives, and uh, it'll make us happy. Uh, ben, if they want to follow the pendulum in real time, where can they do it on the internet? Uh, you can find me melting down on Twitter at Comrade Uspers. And you can find me making snide subtweets about Ben's meltdown at skipjack0079. For Ben, for myself, I guess for Brian, um, who's hopefully dreaming of speedboats coming from Cuba right now, and of course for Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs. <laughs>